Welcome to the Sea Trade Maritime Podcast. In this two-part episode, we're revisiting a discussion held during Informa Markets Digital Maritime Week in June 2020, when the Sea Trade ShipTech brand unpacked various discussion topics surrounding crew welfare and the skills challenge. During the 90-minute webinar that was sponsored by the Isle of Man Ship Registry and TAPIT, five highly knowledgeable contributors navigated their way through multiple topics, from connectivity on board vessels to the impact technology can have on health and well-being, and what the industry should be doing to speed up innovation when addressing crew welfare as an ongoing concern. In the discussion that follows, you'll hear references to the conversation the panel had in part one of this episode. So if you haven't already, you can download that episode or listen online at seatrade-maritime.com, where you'll also find more podcasts, webinars and daily news content on demand. So we'll now go back to the voices of Richard, Clara, Cameron, David and Nick as they weave their way through several crew welfare and technology issues. So I'd like to expand the conversation now a little bit um, to look at uh, broader crew welfare issues. And uh, Richard, w- when you were speaking just now, you, you, you mentioned the, the whole idea of welfare and well-being. It, it, it's not just about mental health. It's not just about physical health. It's, it's a holistic mind, body and soul approach that we need to be um, taking. Could you just unpack that a little bit and, and talk about um, h- how you think that that works in reality? Yeah, I think um, I've long been a supporter of the fact that you can have the the most technical ship on the seas, but you still always need a seafarer to run it at the moment. And I I don't think that we really understand our our crews and what they bring to the table most of the time. You see all these um, companies invest in hundreds of millions in the vessels, but I, I do believe we really need to start. Now is the time to really start looking at our crews. You know, take the an individual crew member. Um, you know what they bring to the to the to the ship, but they also need to be looked after in the right way. And what I was talking about before is taking the holistic approach, which is you know right down from their their training, from their skills, their competence levels to their management, how you develop them through the company, giving them a, a route forward. Um, and the companies that have taken this on and embraced it are successful with their crews and they have people returning back time after time. So, you know, when you look at the, the well-being of the mental health, there's a lot of focus right now on mental health. Uh, we prefer to call it the well, mental well-being. Um, and, and that's right. But it's been there a long time. and It's just been getting steadily worse, just, just outwardly reported now. Um, you know, we've... There's, we, we hear about every conference, the fact that how do we get people out of the cabins? How do we get them socialising? The crews are smaller on board. So really it's about these uh, technical solutions, which we're trying to work in collaboration, and we'll shortly announce it with Isle of Man Ship Registry, is to, is to really focus and give people tools that they can use on board the ship um, to get themselves active, active, to get themselves trained properly, to keep their competence levels up, working with shipping companies to give them the right routes, identifying key people, their, their strengths, their weaknesses, and then working with them to give them the right training, which will take them into the field where they best want. You know, There's no point just keep recruiting and recruiting people Take the people you've got, work with them, develop them in the right way, 
and then take them on. And you will see the benefits, one from uh, the cost effect from the company, but you will also see that from the seafarer or officer themselves. If they've been given uh, this uh, channel, this route by the company and working with them, then you, you will see the benefits. But unfortunately, we don't see that from shipping companies. It's very rare for a shipping company to take people in this way. They recruit them, they put them on the ship, and that's it. They're on board. It's a number. And I think we, right now, I think with COVID, what we've just been speaking about, we really need to start understanding our people better. And, you know, this is where hopefully with, with Cameron, I'll explain in a minute, by what we're trying to do with these collaborations is to put the emphasis onto people to deliver these technical uh, solutions to the seafarers and the ship owners. You, you mentioned a, a really interesting point there that I'd, I'd like to pick up on, and that's around the investment that's made in, uh, uh, if you like, in machinery and in the assets and then the investments that are made in, in people. And through some of the research that we've just done, um, we found that startups that are focused on, on human factors, um, on average, are able to raise about four times less money from investors mm-hmm. and grow about 25% slower than startups that are focused on machinery uh, uh, performance improvements. Um, and, and Clara, I'd, li- I'd like to bring you in on that point because I know that you're um, at the early stages of doing some work with a number of different startups who are looking at uh, how um, data uh, can improve uh, life on board um, and, and, and using that data to, 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 to make positive changes. Could you, could you perhaps just give us a few examples? As, uh, as Richard uh, pointed out, it's a, it's a holistic approach and, uh, you know, mental health relates to physical health, relates to also safety of the ship. Um, and uh, when it comes to safety uh, and understanding the human factor for safety, there are uh, innovative companies out there uh, that are trying to, to address this. So, uh, for example, um, a company that we're not yet working with, but we know of is um, a scout base uh, based in Denmark. Uh, where uh, they are basically enabling the shipping companies to understand better how uh, the seafarers, how their crew um, is feeling, uh, what, uh, you know, they, 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 they define a range of parameters that uh, affect um, the, the safety of the ship, the human factors. So, for example, motivation, communication across the ship, uh, tiredness, etc. And it's all about how do you get uh, the crew to actually engage with this tool, with these questions that they're receiving on their phone uh, at regular intervals? Um, So there is methodology in there uh, into how to uh, get the seafarers um, engaged. But, you know, you also need uh, the shipping company then to engage uh, with the data that receiving back uh, and the recommendations. Um, and, you know, you need to show this feedback loop that um, if you, if as a seafarer, you're going to give me data, uh, I'm going to make something to improve uh, your well-being and the safety uh, of the ship. And Cameron, how, as, a, as, a, as a flag state representative, how are you seeing mental health issues evolving? Or, or I should I'll rephrase that. How are you seeing welfare issues on the whole evolving? There's a question here from, from Gustav Modin asking, what, what's the difference between mental health today compared to 30 years ago? Are crew suffering more today or is it just being blown up in proportion? Um, the majority of seafarers are from third world countries and their culture and society looks totally different from the Western world. Um, is this being considered? So uh, across the fleet um, that you're responsible for, what, 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 what do you see? H- how are these issues unfolding? How is the situation changing? For a few years now, Dial Man Ship Registries had concerns about well-being on board ships. Um, 
seafarers and we have an international base of seafarers so um, from all over the world i think that the difference probably associated with shipping 20 years ago and shipping now is connectivity and we've, we've talked about that here today um when i was at sea you you wrote home and letters and postcards and got ashore every now and then to make a phone call but now we have a younger generation of seafarer who is used to connectivity ashore, is used to going on social media platforms whenever they want. And so when they get on board a ship and that isn't available anymore, it's isolating in itself. You're now cut off from what you you know, perceive as socially acceptable. So I think there's a dilemma there. Um, but in addressing that, um, what I'm really keen to announce today is our new business partner, which is Tappet. Um, Richard, and we specifically looked at Tappet's offering because of the type of training and live streaming they can provide, that holistic approach. So we want to be able to provide something as a flag state to the seafarers on board our ships. And I don't think any other flags do that in this way. I think traditionally, we've probably looked to the owners to provide that sort of training. We've looked at owners and operators and said, well, if your crew aren't crew's well-being is being affected it's up to you to to look at that so really delighted to be able to announce that and also the fact that we've had long-standing tripartite arrangements with nautilus and nautilus have also agreed to come on board and input into that that application that tap are de uh, developing for us so i think you know we're trying and um, we're trying new innov innovative ways to look at Meant, uh, well-being on board ships and the well-being of our seafarers and I think these sorts of tools these technological advances will allow us to do a much better job of looking after our seafarers and uh, well first off congratulations um on on that partnership it sounds hugely exciting and um, David I'd like to bring you in here because I think what we're seeing there is an example of absolute best practice at, at play um, and I'd, I'd like to get a sense from you. I know Nautilus have, have done some research into um, the impact of connectivity um, uh, that found that connectivity can be a bit of a double-edged sword. And I was wondering if you might be able to elaborate on, on that study um, and, and talk about what, what, what you found out. Sure. Um, yeah, we did some research a couple of years ago on, for, on our membership on, and their access to communications at sea. Um, as, as Richard pointed out, the um, youngsters nowadays, they, they do not accept that you can go away for three, four months and you don't have internet connection. They've grown up with it their entire lives and it's just not something that they that they can you know, comprehend, that they can't talk to their friends for three or four months. And just going back to the COVID thing shortly, we, I was at a meeting yesterday of um, the UK Maritime Charities when um, we were discussing these issues with ships that have been detained and 1,400 crew currently stranded in Tilbury on cruise ships. And the charities that have been assisted them, they were asked what was the single biggest thing you could do to improve the situation of the crew on board. And they all said free internet connectivity for those crews. So that's how high those crews rate the importance of internet connectivity. Now, when we did our research uh, a couple of years ago, admittedly the situation may have changed slightly since then, but that's tempered by the fact that the companies that answered our survey were those more likely to have internet on board anyway. They were more offshore rather than deep sea. But 90% uh, of members had some access to the internet, but this was um, very large part was very limited. Um, only 57% had regular access to their private emails. 34% had access to social media. 6% video calling. 
And interestingly, uh, 65% indicated they'd consider moving company if there was a better internet offering at another company. So, um, and I think that that sort of um, attitude is only likely to have to have increased over the the intervening years. Obviously, as as people retire and they're replaced by younger people, I think we'll find that it, we'll we'll get to a stage where if a company doesn't provide internet to the crew, then no one's then no youngster's going to want to work on that ship. I think that's a that's a that's a great point, and I, I also think. Um, when when you look at the, the 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 issue of connectivity, I think that there are often people who will um, uh, believe that you know, particularly people who at sea uh, quite a few years ago, that none of these problems existed uh, when we didn't have connectivity, and that connectivity is, is perhaps the cause of it. But what we're seeing very clearly from the, um, the 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 study there is that it's becoming the the, the minimum expected standard um, for seafarers. And I think as the next generation comes through, who've grown up entirely connected um, the, the, throughout their childhoods, um, th- that's only going to compound. Um, I, I do also remember in, in that same study, there was um, a statistic around people using their own devices in their cabins, having an impact impact on the, the social environment on board. And I'd like to come back to, to Richard um, with two questions. Um, one that's come in um, on the on the chat here from Harris Knight from BP Shipping, um, asking where can, uh, how, how can Isle of Man flagships get access to the TAPIT system um, and building on your new partnership, um, but, but also looking at this issue of social isolation and, and some of the work you're doing to get people out of their cabins and into common areas like the mess room. Yeah, thanks, Nick. So, just taking on the first point, um, so building on this development with the Isle of Man Ship Registry, what we wanted to do was collaborate with a leading organisation that would make a difference. That's what we want. We want to make a difference. We want to get the presence out there so that we can deliver these solutions to the ships, but in the credible format. So, you know, through this development, this app development we're doing, it will also be able to you'll be able to stream. Uh, live classes, live training. Um, it also has various functions of support around the world where people can have got uh, Wi-Fi uh, in the region. So coming back to the first question, if you're on a board a ship and you've got uh, you've got internet available, then you'll be able to soon be able to go onto the Isle of Man app and then you'll be able to, to take classes, courses, exercises, uh, anything you want. So but the point that we're, we're really trying to do is to, is to work with ship owners themselves and saying, you know, put a dedicated place in your mess rooms. You know, it's it's a simple system, you know, a video capable uh, and an internet system, television, um, and get people out. Give them an excuse to come out. Now, most times it was always a, it was left to an individual on the ship who would create a bingo night or something. We're saying you don't need that. All you need to do is let us take care of it. We will be the welfare for the ships. Just give us the access to point to somewhere on the vessel. Um, but again, it comes down to ship owners being able to work with us. We, For example, I was talking to a, a ship owner the other week. I just congratulated him on taking a new vessel, uh, which cost X amount of millions. Um, I said, you'll be, you'll be taken on board our system. He said, no, we don't have the bandwidth for that. And it, it just typified the way we, we, we budget. Um, again, we put the onus on the asset, but actually the asset is the crew. So, you know, this is where we're, we're constantly working with ship owners now and hopefully with the support and collaboration with, uh, with not only 
the Isle of Man Ship Registry, but Nautilus as well, we can really um, get a strong message out there to start getting these activities out for the crew to be able to join in. When I was at sea, the biggest uh, social draw was the karaoke machine. Um, but it hadn't been updated for years, uh, and that was quite a few years ago now. So now we're at the point where we can get karaoke streamed uh, straight to vessels um, as well as everything else. It sounds fantastic. Um, we've had an- another question in uh, uh, from Captain Raja Ray. Uh, uh, unlike what is available ashore, could companies like Tappet have something like a lifeline for seafarers where they can just call and talk, uh, uh, call and talk about what they're feeling? Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll let you answer that briefly, Richard, but then I'd also like to pass that on to Clara um, because I know that um, uh, there are a number of organisations who offer services like this and, and it would be a good good opportunity to, to highlight some of those. But, but Richard, is there something like that built into Tappet? Yeah, so that, that's interesting, a good question because one of the, the, the well, the, the, the first item that, that Cameron came to me and said, can we have an SOS button uh, which right. allows people to, to be able to hit the button and they get support either through what we're trying to develop is access to a 24-7 system uh, where they can video call people or they can chat. They can do it through the written format or voice protocol um, anywhere in the world. So that's what we're, we're, we're developing with that. So, yes, absolutely critical is, you, you know, you can you can give people access to all these programs and well-being, but also you need the support if things aren't great. Um, we've been there. Um, so yeah, this is this is absolutely key. Is this SOS button on the and Clara? You know, I've been ashore for the last five years, and whenever I, whenever I have a bad day, I have my own personal network of friends and family that I can talk to. But I also have access to my GP in in, in one phone call. Um, I, I can I can be booked in with a GP, and and in the last few months, I've been able to book in for even video consultations with a GP. Um, when a seafarer has a crisis, it's obviously better to to, to manage mental health um, before that crisis develops um, and, and provide ongoing support. But when that SOS button is needed, um, what's out there? What can be provided? Yes, so um, there, there are uh, innovations out there that uh, enable, uh, in a case of emergency, to talk to um, uh, to a professional. Uh, so, for example, uh, VCAN that I mentioned earlier has mental health support. Uh, there is a, a smaller company called Big Yellowfish uh, that also offers um, first um, a chatbot. Uh, and if this is not enough, if there are uh, real signs of emergency, then they can talk to um, um to, to, to a counsellor. Uh, you also have uh, you know, charities and their helplines. Uh, you have um, the Seafarers uh, Hospital Society in the UK, for example, working with uh, Big White Wall, uh, which offers uh, free access uh, to mental health support tools and, again, uh, talk to someone. Uh, the problem is that, you know, if uh, you want to talk to someone uh, without... Um, you know, with some kind of anonymity uh, or, you know, if even better, you want to have a video call, uh, then again, there is the, the bandwidth issue. Uh, and it's again something uh, we're trying to address by uh, providing uh, this uh, dedicated bandwidth uh, solution um, and working together with technology providers to, to enable uh, better communication in these cases of emergency. And, and, and specifically on that, actually, there's a, there's a brief question um from makesh singh from mall asia um uh video consultations for covid19 um we'll be grateful to know if you can provide uh, how to use it on an existing system on board such as fbb i i, 
I'm not 100 percent sure what FBB is. I don't know whether you know. It could be Fleet Broadband. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah. I'll, I'll let you. I'll let you answer that. Yes, FBB is Fleet Broadband. Um, uh, I'm not personally involved in this uh, COVID-19 uh, helpline, uh, so I wouldn't want to uh, provide the, the wrong uh, answer. So um, I think um, it, it, I, I would uh, I would rather uh, talk to my colleague and get information uh, directly from them and get back to you. Uh, but there is also uh, information available on the internet. Okay, and I'm sure um, uh, I'm thinking out loud here uh, to, to Chris, but I'm sure we can find a way to distribute um, information about those programs to, um, to, to, to panelists who have asked questions on it. Uh, and there's another question that's come in specifically for you, Clara, um, and, and it's um, from uh, Rosalind Marinov. Um, there are many companies without the internet on board, uh, and this is absolutely affecting crew welfare on board during the uh, period such as COVID detention. How can you motivate or push ship managers to introduce internet on board? I think one of the issues uh, of providing internet um, so is, you know, the fact uh, that the crew, as I said, would use up a lot of the uh, of the bandwidth, uh, and that can interfere uh, with the vessel network. Um, so, um, Inmarsat also has um, a solution where we enable uh, the the vessel to separate the crew connectivity from the vessel connectivity um, at, uh, you know, for an efficient cost. And also, you know, once you have um, internet for the crew, uh, usually, I, I still until, until today, uh, a lot of the management of the crew connectivity falls uh, on, on the shipping company. So, for example, uh, you know, defining how much access they have when, uh, you know, selling voucher for additional access to connectivity sometimes. Um, and we are trying to take this out of the hands uh, of, of the shipping company. So, to make it easy for them uh, uh, to provide uh, connectivity to the crew. Okay. And, and it's worth pointing out, we've had a, a message from, from Jan Weber um, just pointing out that there, there are other charity initiatives as well supporting um, uh, crew welfare, including the Mission to Seafarers has launched a chat to a chaplain service, um, which allows anyone um, to get in touch um, via a, a messenger service to, uh, to a chaplain to speak, uh, to, to speak about issues and ask for support. Um, and there's also the ICEWAN um, helpline, um, which is, I believe, manned uh, 24-7. We're also working with ICEWAN where we are providing um, free access access to seafarers so um, they can call uh, ice one for free uh, from an inmarsat vessel great that's a, that's a fantastic initiative um i want to talk about privacy and uh, and confidentiality um there's there's two two aspects to this one i i, I remember when uh, I, I did my first deep sea trip uh, we had a single shared inbox for the whole crew so there, there was a um uh, a gentleman's agreement between everyone that you wouldn't read anyone else's emails, but in theory, um, anyone could read anyone's emails. So it's it's not really the place to discuss um, mental health issues. Um, I, I think things have moved on significantly since then, but privacy is still a concern. And, and Joanne Rawley raises the point, um, asking how do we get around that, that privacy confidentiality issue? Are there ways that crew members um, can... Uh, uh, raise the alarm, if you like, um, and, and ask for help without having to notify everyone on board. Um, I, I'm throwing this open to all the panellists. Um, I don't know whether, whether, Clara, you have specific experience from an that point of view, but if, if anyone else has any experience, um, would be interested to hear your thoughts. Uh, 
I think for me, I, I don't see privacy uh, as a massive issue in the sense that um, I think it's uh, it's not too challenging to to go around it. Uh, you know, you could um, uh, transfer data anonymously. You could aggregate data. Uh, you could set rules. Uh, you know that you know data, individual data, would be deleted after a certain time. Um, and you know, technology providers know how to deal with that. Um, so I, I don't see this as a massive issue. But there is, you know, the the mutual trust issue still. Um, that again, you know, if I'm going to share data, what are you going to do with it? Um, and that requires uh, a lot of uh, communication from the shipping company to its crew, um, and uh, you know, proving by doing again. Um, you know, I have data, I'm going to use it to to support your welfare. That, that raises a, a great point that I think we should spend a, a little bit of time discussing. Um, uh, and I'd, I'd like to bring in um, Richard on this. Um, one of the things that we found uh, is that, yes, mental health is a, is a massive issue and suicide at sea is, is, is a massive issue. Um, but actually, it's not the um, leading cause of death at sea. Accidents still are the leading cause of death at sea. Um, but actually, second um, from our research is, is heart disease and people having heart attacks um, halfway across the ocean. Um, and, and again, this is a, que- this is a, a, a problem where um, the solution is perhaps out of an individual seafarer's control. Um, things like diet, exercise, um, getting a, a regular sleep pattern um, are ways to minimize the risk of that. Um, but it's not necessarily something that a, a crew manager or a ship manager can enforce on an individual. Um, and equally, um, a few of those aspects are just outside of the control of the seafarer anyway. Um, and there's a fine line between a technology company being um, a supportive help in improving your health and well-being, and then Big Brother. Um, who is who is watching you, watching what you're doing, watching how you're performing. Um, so how do we go around that and, and how do we ensure that um, seafarers' rights are protected? Okay, I think, I think quite a lot there to, to go through. But I think we'll, we should start really with, with, a, with a trust element. So, you know, if, a, if you're wanting a seafarer to actively, you know, discuss or talk about their well-being issues and, and their health issues and, and anything in that, that vein, they need to have the, the complete trust that they can discuss this with the management supporting them shoreside. We've always known there's a, there's a gap between ship and shore, uh, whether that's perceived or, or real, there is always going to be that. What we're trying to do is is get the the whole crew, the whole company working together by doing the same program shoreside as what we do offshore as well. So therefore, the crews or the, the people on the ships can see that their managers, their, their, right up to the CEOs, are taking the same courses, the same approach with health, their well-being, everything. So, you know, if it flows from the top, then right the way down, then there's a lot more trust element. Uh, there's a lot more uh, productivity in that. People will engage in it a lot more. So uh, we're actually doing this with one company right now where we said to the CEO, we're not even going to talk to the ships. We're not even going to go near the ships unless we can see your management team doing the healthy exercises, getting involved with the healthy eating, looking after yourself and your well-being as well and taking the well-being courses. And then 
what they've done, they've taken it the next step as well with us because now they're looking at their, their safety meetings or their, their meetings where you put safety at the top now. 20 years ago, that was right at the bottom. Now it's at the top. What they've introduced now is a well-being, which now comes first. And that has taken a holistic route right through to the fleet and the crews. They feel as though they can stand up and talk and mention they've got problems without the fear of anything coming back to them. So, you know, I think it all it all just comes down to trust and, and being able to support the, the crews by showing if the management are doing it, then the crews will take place as well. And obviously, once you get that, then you've got a healthier crew. You've got a more competent, safe crew because they're, they're, their whole attitude is completely different because now it's not us and them. It's one team working together to run the ships and deliver the ships and work on the ships. So, you know, that's, that's the attitude we've taken and we're seeing some, some great results on the back of that right now. I think that's a great point to to, to leave this uh, discussion on welfare um, and and say I, I think mutual trust is is key, uh, and that's that's the key key foundation. Um, uh, you can throw all the technology you wanted it, but if if that doesn't exist, um, it, it's not really going to solve problems. I'd like to move on to talk about my uh, favourite topic, which is training and skills. Um, uh, before I do, just two brief points that have been raised. Um, uh, one. Um, David, the, the, the study from Nautilus um, talking about uh, internet being the single most effective uh, measure. Uh, could you? What was the name of the study, and where can people find it? Oh, it was the uh, Nautilus Crew Connectivity Study, which I could um, well, I'll share with the team here, and I'm sure they could distribute it afterwards. I'll put a link up if they wanted to. Perfect. That'd be great. Um, and and the, the second question on 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 studies. Um, was the study I mentioned um, about the difference between human factors and uh, um, machinery factors. Um, that was published today uh, by us in Inmarsat. It's available on our website, theteus.com, and it's available on Inmarsat's website. Um, I'd like to kick off the training discussion uh, with a question to you, um, uh, David. I am um, Iren, a deck cadet from the Philippines. In an age of automation, we are faced with even stiffer competition against the machines, which do not experience fatigue, and other human limitations. Uh, this pandemic has just hastened us towards more autonomous shipping. With that being said, being an aspiring maritime officer, um, we are challenged to elevate ourselves skills-wise. In your perspective, what is our necessary skill set to be at par with this advancement? Um, what are you seeing uh, from the union's point of view? What, what are the skills that seafarers are going to need in the future? I think that's, that's a very good question. Um, first of all, we, we're not convinced that we're going to see the end of crew on ships in the next 20, 30 years. I think we're going to see maybe smaller crews on some ships and maybe some very limited applications, maybe fully autonomous. But at the end of the day, it has to be profitable. And I can't see a scenario at the moment where, for example, a deep sea container ship is the level of technology that would be required that we're looking at getting rid of crew entirely in the next 20, 30 years. So I think the role of the seafarer is, is going to be around for a long time to come, but it, it, undoubtedly it's going to change. And that's that's where the skills the skills issue comes in because at the moment um, the STCW convention and, and all, all other requirements are, are more aimed at, they're aimed at teaching a list of, a, you know, a specific list of skills which are applicable now and then when when a new piece of technology comes along we have a new training course and then and then we have another training course and we just bolt a few things on and um but what we really are going to need in the future i think are are the more of the soft skills um 
you know, adapt the, the ability to adapt the um, the uh, you know adapt to new technologies, adapt to new ways of working, problem solving skills, because I imagine that as technology um, becomes more advanced, there'll be less sort of tedious, monotonous tasks, and it'll be more the oversight and the and the problem solving and and fixing it all when the technology goes wrong, and that's going to require, I think, a, a higher basic education, and I think it's going to um, require a, a much more of a focus on those soft skills and those management skills, and also um, interpersonal skills as well. Because as, as crews get smaller and smaller and smaller, we're already seeing issues. But there, there comes a point where where um, you know you're going to if you've got three or four people on a ship, for it's going to be very difficult to uh, maintain those relationships unless you're very skilled at, at, problem, at, at conflict re- resolution and, you know, that, that sort of thing. Cameron, it, it, it seems, uh, David raises a, raises a great point. It seems that the industry kind of takes a just add more approach. Um, and when I went through my training, I had to learn um, uh, complex um, satellite search and rescue systems for GMDSS, but also I had to learn um, signal flags that we used in Nelson's Navy. Um, as more and more advanced technology comes on, uh, do we have a way um, that we can perhaps drop out some of those outdated skills? Uh, as a flag state, what, what's your take on this? I would hope so. I think, you know, uh, as technology advances, I think we have to be realistic about what what we needed then and what we need now. Um, but I also think it's more of a change in direction. You know, I think that, and Richard will probably come on to this, maybe we still have seafarers who work on board ships then go and leave, and then while they're on leave, go and do training in a classroom somewhere um, in order to get another qualification or renew a qualification. I think we have to start looking a bit more into the future in that. You know, people do have downtime on board ships. Can we incorporate training on board ships more into, into those situations, be that STCW or part of STCW or part of whatever it might be in the future? I think we just need to start thinking a bit differently. Um, I completely agree that, you know, from an engineering perspective, where I'm from, I'm, I, I don't see the use of sextants very much anymore, but they are still within the syllabus and that's what that's what's there. Um, I think we do need to move on. And I hope, you know, I, I believe within the UK now that they're looking again at training and training requirements of the Merchant Navy Training Board, um, STCW working groups. So let's let's hope that we can we can move things into the future a little. I completely agree. Um, Stuart Bankier from uh, Bernard Schulter Ship Management uh, made a point to our, actually to, to our last discussion about uh, welfare, but I think it, it does apply here. Um, he said, dear team, nearly all of these strategies require the crew, mostly senior officers on board, to do something, maybe simply allowing the, the time to make calls, facilitate karaoke, working hours, routines, all of which, in my view, requires leadership and management. Woefully lacking in the industry, i.e. it's poor, very limited and not sufficient in the 21st century for seafarers. Trust is vital, but it comes from leadership. Does the team agree? Richard, um, Building on that, uh, it, soft skills have been mentioned, um, uh, and also just just making time to be able to do all these things um, on on board ship. Let's talk about tech here. What what can tech do to to alleviate uh, some of those problems? Yeah, so so obviously, if it's set up right, uh, the tech can do amazing stuff. I mean, you you can do pretty much you can run a whole ship on an iPad with the right solutions and put in place these days. You can run all your audits. You can do everything. Obviously, it just takes uh, the impetus to go and do that. Um, whilst 
you know, maintaining the levels of, uh, of crew you've got. What you don't want to do is make it so good that they, they remove crew even further, uh, which has happened in certain circumstances. Um, you know, for moving forward, I think um, I think that's it. It's just a case of we've seen it in other industries, you know, letting the tech aspire to what it can do. I think we're a very historical industry. We always look to the past and we're very reticent at looking forward. Uh, and that's a big problem because I think you, you've already mentioned it, you know, the, the sextants and stuff, you know. You know, you go on ships these days have got multiple redundancies in place and yet we're still asking people to do it, uh, you know, get the sextant out and stuff. I I was one of them. I used to agree and say everybody should know what happens if the ship blacks out. But we're getting to the stage where we have so many redundancies these days and actually the focus is taken away. We should be focusing more on, on cadet training with how to manage. My biggest bugbear in the industry was always taking people off ships, vessel masters, chief engineers, and put them into superintendent positions without any formal training whatsoever. Um, and that's a big difference. And the amount of people you see failing who come in an office and you see them back on a ship in two months' time uh, because they were just not trained. They were not ready for that process. And it's a huge step coming shoreside from when you've been on a, on a vessel. Um, it should be a massive integral part of people's trainings. You look at the, the skills now. You look at people now. They want to go on the ship for eight to ten years maximum, and they, they want to come shoreside. So, you know, this is what my point earlier on was. Identify people at cadet stage. Identify them when you recruit them. You know, you should be talking at that stage about what they want in eight years and how are they going to get to that because it takes, it takes ten years to mould people into the right person for that job. Instead, what we do is we set people up to fail. As an industry, we set people up because we don't manage them correctly. Some companies do, but a lot of them don't. And I think as we move more and more to, you know, 20, 30 years an autonomous role, people are afraid there's going to be less jobs. In fact, that's the opposite because we need maritime people in the industry to be able to guide and manage those systems. So it's just a, a complete change around of, um, of instead of being on the ship, they're now managing something else, which calls for soft skills. So it should be part of the curriculum. It should be part of the training. Um, and we need to be onto this now. We need to be really motoring ahead with this. Okay. Um, building on that, there's a really interesting question from Ali Jones. Um, uh, I work for Mercy Ships, an international medical charity running hospital ships in Africa. Is there merit in crew taking breaks from the usual roles to serve within charitable organizations, using their skills in a different environment to boost their mental health and sense of purpose? And, and there's, there's quite a wide body of research that looks at um, topics like burnout uh, and actually just um, being able to make a change, even temporarily, is, is as good as, if not better, than actually taking time off. Um, and, and I think building on what you're saying, possibly there is a need for a more flexible approach where you can take people on and off ships to give them time ashore, time to learn different things. Um, perhaps the reality of that uh, is, it, is that it's too difficult to achieve. I wonder, maybe David, you could give your take on this. Is, is this, what, what, what's, what's behind this? Is, is it, a, is it a, an issue of actual seafarers' contracts and the way they're employed that we don't invest in people for 10 years? Um, or, or is there something else going on? I think um, on the Mercy Ships point, obviously, I think um, the opportunity to have new experiences and learn new skills on different types of ships absolutely would 
it was benefiting not only the seafarer but the, the, their employing company because you have a more rounded individual when they come back. But it kind of um, reminds me of an issue we have really is um, across maritime is is people get lumped into their ship types, and, it, and but it's very difficult for people to if you start out as a cadet on a container ship then to end up on anchor because you need experience and you need the uh, tickets and and people aren't likely to take someone on a tanker without the experience and they can't get the endorsements without the experience. So you're in a catch 22 situation. And I think as, um, as the technology improves and we, and we find people having a more of a, as, as we say, more of a top down management role, then I, hopefully we can see that, that changing a bit. I think the company, the industry has to be more flexible if, to allow people to, to move around between different ship types and gain that broader experience. And Cameron, is, is that something that you see, uh, you know, once someone has their COC and they have their tanker endorsement, that's that's their career set, they're on tankers. I think it's something I used to see when I was at sea. Uh, I haven't been there for a while, but I think that's generally what happens still. I think if you're on one type of ship and you're trained to one particular ship type and you stay there, there is obviously a bit of crossover across tankers to gas tankers, but you still need to get your new endorsements, your training endorsements, etc. So I think... It still exists, but I think my my point would be we're, we're trained to be engineers, we're trained to be deck officers, we're trained to be electricians, we're not trained to be managers. We, we do our tickets based on our skills and everything that we've learned, but we're still not trained to be managers of people. And I think that's the bit that everybody's sort of alluding to today. So I think companies need to invest more in those soft skills, as David said. You know, we need to be managers. And we... We do that at the ship registry. We put our, our surveyors through ILM5, ILM7 to make sure that they develop those skills about management. It's not just about surveying ships and being technically competent. You need to have those other skills as well. So I think that's vitally important. And, and at the moment, I guess, you know, that that's only really catered for by a, a helm course, which is a five-day bolt-on um, at, at each level. Richard, uh, what, what courses are you providing for those soft skills? Uh, and, and, and what do you see are the most important critical ones? Um, and also there's a, there's a question come in um, uh, that, that asks about one of the, one of the key uh, keys to extended training is, is on-the-job training um, and, and, and having access to a good on-the-job trainer. Um, what, what courses are available? Um, what, what education is available to help people get better at delivering on-the-job training and delivering mentoring to, to the next generation? Well, I think there's, there's certainly there's plenty of courses out in the you know in, in the in the wider world. I mean, we're we're very much focused on on the cadet development as well, um, and we've been we brought in one of the UK's leading uh, developers of cadets with a view that one we can. I keep coming back to this holistic approach. You know, if you can if you can manage from right from the beginning a cadet, find out their strengths. So we're we're producing and developing cadet programs which allows people to stay on the ship because it's key to get cadets today on the ships learning on the job so therefore what we're trying to to put in place with hopefully once we can uh, liaise with the mntv is to develop courses they can live stream onto the vessels themselves which reduces the time in college and gives them that that on the job training it also gives them key connections to course tutors to course uh, moderators it, they they get a natural affinity with people they can work with them 
Um, and, but, it, you know, it gives them 24 access to ask the questions they need, and then they can go and apply those on the ship instead of, you know, coming off the ship and going to, to the college situation or, or going home or something. For me, it was always key to stay on the ship and learn every aspect of the job. Now we can do that with live stream courses that we're developing for cadets on the on these ships. Um, and that goes with, with anything, really, because at the moment, training has got such a bad press. Um, people have forgotten actually what training does for them. It raises the competence, their skills, and gives them the flexibility to grow and develop. Uh, at the moment, what you find is it's seen as a bugbear because they have to do it when they're on leave. They've just spent six months or three months on a vessel. They go home and they have to go and do training, either at their cost or company's cost. So, again, what we're looking to do is is take the classroom-based training with full interactive live training onto the ships so that they can do this while they're, while they're on the ships. And, and what that does, it, it improves the... Uh, awareness of training and gets people focused on actually what is training about it's to develop an individual so um, again this is what we're really looking at um, working with shipping companies to develop these courses for their their individuals whether that's sdcw required or whether it's an in-house company requirement but um, you know in in 10 years where this is going to be where all format is done you know i've been saying this for quite some time that um you know, don't don't invest in bricks and mortar in training centres because in ten years it's not going to be the way it's done. It's going to be live streamed, and the one thing COVID has done is is made everybody comfortable and aware that actually live streaming works. And we're seeing a, you know, over the last month a significant race for people to develop courses that uh, they're going to now try and do. So so there is a change coming, and it's, it's sooner rather than later. And tying this back to this whole discussion, uh, which is ultimately is about welfare, um, there was a study uh, recently by uh, Yale and, um, and ITF um, that, that looked at the underlying causes of mental health issues, and actually a lack of adequate training or feeling that you, you don't have the right training to do the job that you've been given um, was actually raised as one of the underlying uh, causes of, of, of developing mental health problems while on board. So I can definitely see the, the, the critical role that plays. At this point, um, we've only got a couple of minutes left, so I'd actually like to um, move towards, towards wrapping up. So um, I'll ask each of the panellists uh, to uh, just give us your, your closing thoughts, um, uh, reflecting everything that we've, we've discussed today, which is quite extensive. Um, can we start with, with, with David? Uh, what, what are you, what are you, what's your closing thoughts and what would you want someone to take away from this discussion? One of the things that stood out for me is, is the point Cameron made about the trust and, and the seafarer having a trust with the company. And I think it's something that we've been pushing all the time is, is some people find it hard, quite a funny concept that, that seafarers are human beings just like the rest of us. And and like you you were mentioning, um, you know, the, the difference between being big brother and, and having the opportunity. And for us, seafarers have to have the opportunity to to maintain good mental health. If they, if they want to have exercise, if they want to have a healthy diet, they need to have the ability to do that on board. You can't force them. But if the, the food's rubbish and there's no gym, what, what are they supposed to do about it? The same with internet connection. I mean, we've heard shipping companies say, oh, we can't give crew the internet because they'll be sitting up till two o'clock in the morning on Facebook and they won't have enough rest. Well, they're adults. That's a decision all of us make at home, but we don't expect our employer to make that decision for us. So that would be my takeaway is just remember that, that seafarers on ships are, are just humans just like the rest of us and they expect the same things out of life as we do. Well said, absolutely. And, and Cameron? 
just to echo David's comments, really, I think, you know, we, we're moving forward. We need to make sure that if we want to continue to support the well-being of seafarers, that they have the same rights and privileges on a ship as you would have when you're at home. And that includes social connections, albeit through social media. Um, I think it's vitally important. And, you know, we, we, we really need to collectively think now also... <laughs> My big concern, I suppose, of the day and everyone else's is getting those seafarers home. Let's see what we can do nationally, internationally, make sure we can get those seafarers home, get them repatriated. And Richard? I think the, the biggest takeaway I would want is for potential for, for ship owners, managers, operators to, to look at reducing the gap between ship and shore. I think if, uh, if a CEO or a superintendent lost his internet connection in an office, he would soon be onto IT to get it fixed immediately. Um, what we need is the same on the ships because we are in a technical age. Whether we like it or not, we are in that age now and um, it's going to become more and more of an issue as we move along. So, you know, I think we have to take off the blinkered approach, uh, embrace it and, and use it and that, that way you will see the welfare improve and it allows for more technical solutions to go onto the ships which will improve everybody so so that would be my biggest takeaway and, and finally clara yeah so so uh, completely aligned with what my co-speaker said um i think the point also that we wanted to make is that um there is technology already available out there uh, to help shipping companies support their their crew to be safer, to be connected, uh, to be better trained and in better health. Um, so at the moment it's underinvested, uh, but I think as more technology uh, technologies come into the market uh, and are deployed, uh, you know, the value will be proved. Um, so, um, you know, it's all about paying attention to what's happening, you know, taking the risk sometime to try out uh, solutions and collaborate with different parties. Fantastic. Um, thank you all so much. I'm, my, my closing thoughts are that connectivity is, is a basic utility for, for all of us now. Um, uh, and, and that includes seafarers, wherever they are in the world, um, who, yes, absolutely are human beings. Um, let's, let's find a way to use that connectivity in, in the best possible way to ensure that uh, lives on board um, are, as, are as comfortable and, and um, uh, gratifying as, as possible for everyone. Um, all of that said, uh, pales right now into, into insignificance a little bit when we look at um, the COVID-19 crisis. So I'd just like to um, echo um, Cameron's points and, and, and say we, we should all be um, looking to our governments and, and making a noise to our, to our respective governments to, to get this issue sorted. Um, we're out of time. Um, I'd like to um, thank all of the panellists um, for taking part. Um, uh, but most importantly, and most sincerely, I'd like to thank um, the 1.6 million seafarers, um, many of whom are stuck at sea, many of whom are stuck at home. Thank you for everything you do for all of us. Um, society literally couldn't function without you, so thank you. That brings us to the end of part two of this episode of the Sea Trade Maritime podcast. You've been listening to Cameron Mitchell, Director at the Isle of Man Ship Registry, David Appleton, Professional and Technical Officer at Nautilus International, Clara Vunich, Digital Innovations Partnership Leader in Marsat, and Richard Turner, CEO at Tappet. And moderating the conversation was Founder and Managing Director of Thetius, Nick Chubb. Don't forget, if you missed part one of this discussion, you can download it or listen online at seatrade-maritime.com, where you'll also find more podcasts, webinars, and news from around the world.
So until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye.